and girls, good people and inhabitants of planet Earth, both foreign and domestic. Welcome to the Dear Human Paradox. I'm your host, Darius Riddick, and I would like to thank you for joining me in what is nominally the next stage of evolution for humankind. For those of you joining us for the first time, welcome. For those of you joining us once again, and to all of you, your investment of time, of which you do not get back, is much appreciated. So it's 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 important that we make sure that your investment is well invested. So thank you all for continuing to pave the foundation for the next generation to break speed records on. Because what is life if you can't create a better quality of it for those that succeed us? Tis a beautiful day, as always. Uh, thankful for the opportunity to do what it is that we do each and every single day. And what it is that makes us who we are, where we are, and what it is that we're going to do. But on this day in history, June 6, 1944, is the official day known as D-Day when Allies storm Normandy's coast in order to thwart Germany-occupied France. And um, I think that out of all the days in history throughout World War II, I think this is probably the most recognized day. And I mentioned it. Uh, before in the previous episode, when we talked about uh, some of some of the the, the trends of <clears throat> events throughout history, uh, especially when it comes to war, but I think that uh, this is one of those days that everyone should at least be familiar with and to understand what warfare actually looked like for this time. Uh, I'm not sure if there's anyone still alive from this time, but. If anyone got an opportunity to speak to someone who may have experienced it or may have been alive during the time, you know, I'd be open to that conversation to really see, well, at least to get a, a small picture of what that was like. And uh, the reason why I say that and the reason why we frequently discuss history <laughs> frequently every single time we start an episode, we talk about history is because in order to know where we are, to have some idea of where we're going, we have to have at least known where we've been. And I think history gives us the ability to remove trial and error. There are a lot of, you know, ugly things that happen throughout history and can they be taken back? No, but fortunately they made us big, R race humankind who we are today. And, and it gives us something to look forward to, right? Cause as we progress, life just gets better. Was it perfect 50 years ago? Was it perfect a hundred years ago or a thousand years ago? Is it perfect now? The answer is always going to be resounding. No, but the more that we do this, the better we can make it. And I think that it's important to highlight this stuff because even we talk about war, the same thing applies to human physiology. And when we're trying to understand the mechanisms that make the machines that we hold so dear, we now have the ability to understand it more than ever. So we can, we can use our trial and error and the results for, of which from past occurrences, from past events, in order to un to have a better understanding of what we have today, and and to pave that foundation to to make the quality of life for those that come after us uh, in, to today, right, and even those that come after us even better. And one of the ways that that has been done in, in phys physiology research is with the Maxicon principle, and we talked about that before. So today is a continuation of discussing the Maxicon principle. So if you really wanted to understand the foundation of the Maxicon principle, I suggest going back and listening to that episode because it goes in a little bit more detail. But as a quick reminder, one of the greatest things about doing research is that though you have a target, you know, you truly don't know what the outcome of the research is going to be. It could be less than what you expected 
and it could be more and it could be no answer at all. So there's there's certain things that we can expect moving forward. And it's like sometimes no answer is an answer, which makes it that much more phenomenal. So when we want to so to, to, to discuss further into the Maxicon principle, our goal with using this principle is to eliminate the possibility of of external variables. And though this stems from research in a laboratory setting, we can use this principle in, in everyday life. And, and today specifically, I, I wanted to make it so it's usable, you know, when performing self-research, which basically is this idea that, you know, you, you are trainable. The, the, the human machine, human cognition, and all of it combined is trainable. And no one will understand you better than you. So if you can implement these foundational principles that have laid been laid out by people who are who are <laughs> phenomenally smart <laughs> uh, to, to generate a specific outcome, what that outcome looks like is going to be up to your methodology of research. And though it is the foundation, right, there are going there are going to be uh, variables in the results that are specifically applicable to you. And some may see that as overwhelming, but I would challenge you to see that as a good thing because that gives more room to learn and that gives us more room to understand the information because 100, 200 years ago, 300 years ago, we didn't have this ability. Did it exist? Of course, because that's how evolution works. But now we have the ability to actually put the science behind the application in order to generate a specific result. And if that specific result doesn't come out exactly how we intended it, we know that it has to be because of some unique variable to the individual. And those unique uh, variables give us the ability to come up with certain medications or certain medicines or how fast that the COVID vaccine rolled out. The ability to to uh, overcome obstacles that, you know, once upon a century ago (laughs) were were just it it wasn't possible. And maybe it was because our lack of interest, maybe because where the technology was, maybe it was just because, you know, it, it just wasn't time yet. But whatever the reason may be. You know, we have the better we have a better opportunity to do that now more than ever. So I think it's important to really to really uh, take that into account um, and to, to look at some of the things that we've overcome in the past as truly blessings in disguise. And self-research is now, of course, more important than ever, right, because we do have that ability. So when we talk about using the Maxicon principle in terms of self-research, the goal is to eliminate any sort of variables that that could be a, a inhibitor or a preventative measure to the projected result. And I mean, there, there's so many different scenarios and situations I can present to this, but it's, it's truly up to the individual. Um, so whether it's aesthetic uh, performance or just a quality of life goal by eliminating the external variables we can achieve that goal in the simplest way I can put it faster and more efficient because oftentimes speed and efficiency get confused. And just because something happens fast, doesn't mean it's efficient. And for something to be efficient, doesn't mean it can happen fast or slow, right? Speed doesn't equate to quality. So I think that's something to, to speak on later in itself, 
But one of the methods uh, or one of the many methods or one of the, the top method you could use in order to ensure that you're getting closer to your goal outside of the other, you know, genetic factors considered is by is by repetition. And we dis- discussed repetition before, but repetition in the sense of, you know, how you do one thing is how you're going to do everything. So if you are someone that is lax towards uh, exercise or towards physical activity, then understand that the results aren't going to be nearly as close to what the, their, their possibilities are. And that's a very convoluted way to say that if you approach it with uh, 10% effort, then you only get 10% of the possible results, regardless of genetic factors, regardless of performance abilities. Uh, if the if the effort isn't there through each subsequent repetition, then uh, I mean, even if you added up 10%, 10%, 10%, right, that's only 30% versus if it was 50% or 70% or 90% from the beginning and you continuously add upon that percentage. And uh, one of the one of the ways I, I, I found this most applicable is by looking back through the past three, four, I believe it was five decades, 19, I can't count, <laughs> four decades, four decades, right? So, so the 19, late 1970s. <clears throat> and I began looking at a lot of the studies that were that they were conducting as far as performance goes. And I started to realize that the same way they conducted research 30, 40 years ago is the same way that we can conduct self-research today in order to come to to stronger conclusions, if you will, to to more efficient conclusions. And one of the studies that I came across, for example, I'm not going to say the names and the dates because there are some things that were a little bit controversial that they did. Okay. But like I said, different times, things were done differently. So in, in 1979, uh, there was a study done to look at music as a stimuli to performance. And, uh, what they could, what they concluded at the end of the study is that music is it is like a, a, a delay element for pain and for fatigue. And I am, I am shortening this the, 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 the simplest way possible, right? Cause this is like a 10 page abstract of how they conducted all this and like the, the years of research that they came up with. <clears throat> but what they found was that music acts as a de- delay element to fatigue, meaning depending on the pleasurable sounds that you that you hear when when exercising or when conducting physical activity, you can delay the onset of fatigue. So the fatigue is still occurring. Right? It's, 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 it's happening regardless, right? Because energy is only is only limited and the muscle can only perform so much. However, you feel it less because of what you are listening to. And I thought that was one of the fascinating things uh, about about uh, some of the early studies, because that was about 43 years ago. Right. So they had to compare performance between someone who was exercising. Not listening to music. And someone who was exercising, listening to music. And because of the, the, the many variables in this study. It, the, the results are still controversial, right? There's still some scientists out there, some researchers out there that don't want to 
at, to, to add or come to conclusive or absolute data and say, yes, music does act as a delay element. But back then they could, right? Because it, it was something that they were like, okay, this is new. This is something that hasn't been explored before. There has to be some explanation for this. But the only way to truly do that is to buy, to, to completely clone a person when you are asking a research question in order to generate a specific outcome. However, <laughs> we can take that same study 20, 30, 40 years later and in, in the target of self-research and see what the specific outcome will be. And this is just a, a small example of the many things that we can discuss, but I feel like that's important to truly highlight. So if someone felt like they were stuck or if they felt like they were at a plateau where a coach was like, you know, I need to see if my players are actually doing what they're supposed to be doing. I need to see if when they say that they're pushing, that they're actually pushing. I need to see, you know, how are my employees going? Like, how can I create an, an environment where my employees are going to perform a little bit better? You know, how can I how can I uh, foster uh, a climate where, you know, people may be tired, but they keep pushing, whether that be in training, whether that be in practice or whether that be game time. And music is one of those things where it, it definitely truly does change uh, an individual's ability to translate what's in their head to reality or to delay what's in their head from reality. And, you know, this study kind of proves like maybe we don't know it all, but we're at least on the track to understanding these things a little bit more. So well, what I would challenge everyone to do as we kind of close this up is like, you know, if you do something a certain way. I would say first and foremost, do it with to the best of your ability, to the best of your ability. And much like the human body, you know, things happen with repetition. So when you continuously do things great, eventually you learn how to make them those things better and better and better. And especially when it comes to performance. But if you feel like there was if you feel like you were at a, an end point or stuck, we're at a plateau. Switch things up a little bit. If you're constantly listening to rock music or to rap music or, or if you don't know if music even influences your performance, try removing it. Try changing it up. Try listening to something that you don't even listen to, something that has a slow beat, something that has a fast beat, something that has no beat at all. And then uh, test the measures, ask a research question, come up with the hypothesis and then put it into practice because we have the ability to do that now more than ever. But as always, it they, they are these are tools. So if we don't use them and they just sit in the shed, eventually they're going to rust. But until next time, stay durable, my friends. <laughs>